We're going to dive into Luke in just a moment. But I want to start by just thinking about a couple of sins. Everyone's like, wait a minute. If I was to stand up here and say, okay, how many of you, please no hands as I do this. <clears throat> Let's just, <laughs> if I was to stand up here and say, how many of you deal with the sin of pride from time to time? I would bet almost every hand would go up, right? We can, we can admit that. We all deal with it. But if I was to stand up here and say, how many of you are hypocrites? I, okay, more hands than I thought. <laughs> that's one that's harder to admit to because it, here, think about this. Think about this logically. The nature of admitting you're a hypocrite counters the fact that you're a hypocrite. Right? Because you're admitting that something's wrong and, and, and now you're acknowledging it. Whereas hypocrisy is putting on a mask and, and hypocrisy is putting on a front that is different from who you really are. It comes from the Greek word that meant a play actor or one that wore a mask. And I, I had a picture of a, a guy wearing a mask for a play, but it was just so grotesque that I'm like, oh, okay, that's just disturbing. Um, but hypocrisy is sort of disturbing like that. I love the story. There was one French restaurant and they doubled their clientele in, in just a couple of weeks with a, a policy. And their policy was, uh, the new thing they tried is when a, a couple would come in, especially if it was a younger couple and you can tell they're on a date, they would have two menus, exact same items, but they would give the normal prices to the, the guy and the menu they gave to the girl was prices three times as high. And, and they'd go through and order, the waiter would come and the, the, the gentleman would order for them or they'd both order and the gentleman would be fine with this expensive, lavish dinner that the, the, the young lady thought that he was spending all this money on her. And um, for whatever reason, it became a popular date destination. But it was putting on a false front, something that wasn't true to communicate a truth that wasn't true. In that case, it's trying to communicate the generosity of this young man and that he cares for her so much that he's willing to spend $50 on this plate. And he's thinking, ha, ah, I got a freight team, you know, whatever. And, but, but that's all of that sort of part of hypocrisy. It's putting on airs. Now, now, before we start, I would say right up front, we need to acknowledge we all have areas of hypocrisy, just like we do pride, we all have areas of hypocrisy in our lives. We put on fronts. And in some cases, there's situations where you do put on fronts. When, when you go in for a job interview, chances are you don't go in your PJs. If you are, then talk to me, and that might be why you're not getting the job. But um, we, we put on the, the, the appropriate front for what they, they need to see in that case. And so there are some cases where we uh, adjust our actions appropriately for the situation. But what Jesus is going to talk about here is a spiritual hypocrisy where there's a spiritual front that wants to say, hey, look at me. I have it all together spiritually. And in the heart, it's disgusting and filthy and a heart that is not sold out to God. You know, and, and it's something that this morning I hope we all start to think through and not think through for the person sitting next to me and not think through like I've heard these passages before. But begin to think through, okay, Holy Spirit, reveal in me where am I a hypocrite sometimes? Where am I false? Where am I not presenting a true description of myself? Now, why are we hypocrites sometimes? Why do we delve into hypocrisy? Any thoughts? I'll come in here so you know it's okay for you to talk. 
It seems safer. We don't want our real self to be out there because people may not approve of my real self or, or they may disown me or, or no longer talk to me. We don't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. We want people to like us. So we put on a, a front. Now, now, chances are some of you with young kids, you may have been driving in this morning and in the car is like, ah, I hate you, I'm throwing things. And then you get out of the car and it's like, okay. We're at church. Now, in some ways, I'm thankful for that. Because during worship is not the time for things to be flying across the aisle and kids to be running around fighting. Um, and, and so that's not necessarily a bad thing to do unless we come in and say, yeah, my family's perfect. Yeah, we have it all together. Um, there are times that, yeah, we have to get our kids, we, we had to, don't have to anymore, right, Mark? Uh, <laughs> that we, we've had to get our kids in line as we're coming in to some situation, but you've got to know we're not a perfect family and we're not perfect parents. And there's times that I get upset and lose my cool and I shouldn't. And that's the kind of transparency that we need. The hypocrisy wants to put on a different front to, to, to keep ourselves safe, to keep people liking us, to somehow look better than we actually are. Foundational to this lesson is understanding some of the songs we sang today. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And at the foot of the cross, when we have come and given our hearts to Christ, we are all saved. And we all experience his forgiveness and his blessing and his righteousness. That's the foundation for what we want to talk about. So we want to talk about, look look at what Jesus had to say to some of the, the people that were acting in hypocrisy at the time. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're continuing our study through the book of Luke, through the life of Christ. And at this point, Jesus has has changed his focus and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And we're seeing him get closer and closer to Jerusalem. In the text today, we're going to see even more crowds because crowds start coming in. And so he's on his way to the cross, to his purpose, to save and bring salvation to each of us that turn to him. And as he's doing it, he's teaching. And and today we have teaching along the way as the Pharisees come along and the scribes or the lawyers, some of your translations say, come along. And he's teaching his disciples how to be disciples because his time on earth is drawing near. And so he's teaching them how to live in a God-honoring way that will spread Christianity, that will continue his mission. And so we're in Luke chapter 11. We'll be starting at verse 37. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's a black one under a chair somewhere right around you. Feel free to, free to grab that and open it up. Luke's in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through. And we'll be in chapter 11, verse 37. And he begins, and the Pharisees come to him. And in verse 37, it says, while Jesus was speaking. And so he's just taught. And if you remember last week, he's taught about light and darkness. And, and if your eye is spiritually healthy and lets light in, your whole body will be healthy. And he's already been dealing with the inside and the outside. And he says, if, if your, your eye spiritually is dark, and if you've let darkness in, then your whole body is dark. And so while Jesus is speaking, he, he continues this thought. And he begins to look around and he's going to give some illustrations or or some pointed examples that only he can. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at a table. At some point, I'm curious why Pharisees keep asking him to eat with them. 
because it never turns out good for the Pharisee. There's always a confrontation. But, but for whatever reason they are, and maybe he was genuinely interested. Maybe he's trying to trap him. But so Jesus went in. He's willing to go in with anyone. He, he's willing to share truth with anyone. He goes in, reclines at the table. And that's where the story starts. And point number one in your notes, hypocrisy is preoccupi- preoccupied with outward appearances and spirituality while ignoring the heart issues that matter to God. I know it's a mouthful. Hypocrisy is preoccupied with outward appearances, what we look like to others, and spirituality, outward spirituality. I want to look spiritual to others, especially at church, because then, you know, I get to, to pray every now and then in the better positions, and while ignoring the heart issues that matter to God. Sort of a, a, a way of summarizing that, if, if I could is to get the motives and the heart right and the outside will follow. Get the motives and the heart right and the outside will follow. Let's see how those verses say that to us. In 38, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And some of you moms have probably used this verse. Don't, it's talking about something else. But they they sit down at the table and one of their customs was as they came to the table they would wash their hands ceremonially ceremonially, to make themselves ceremonially clean. And on the screen, I have a, a little a picture of a cup. This is one of the cups that they would use that they've, they've discovered. And it had, it had two handles because you needed to wash both hands. And I've, I've, I've watched this happen even today in Israel. So you take the cup, you fill it with water, and with one hand, you pour it over the other hand three times. And then you set the cup down and, and maybe take a piece of, of clean cloth or something and, and grab it. Or if the cup is clean, you grab it and you pour it over the other hand three times. Some traditions are you go once on this hand and then you go once on the other, once on the other. But you had to three times. And at that point, you're ceremonially clean to where you can eat bread. And, and they would do this for other, other purposes as well. But it was a way, it was a tradition that had passed on. It's not in the Old Testament. But it was a tradition that had been passed on to try to make themselves pure before God as they came to be thankful to God for food. The next picture that that we have, this is outside the Western Wall in Jerusalem, and, and it's a wall where they go to pray. And they have these basins just up from the wall. And as you're going down, you can take one of these modern day cups and you can do the same thing. You can fill it with, with water there, pour it over both hands, and then you're clean before God to come to him in prayer. So that was their tradition of the time. And so Jesus, when he sat down here in, in our, our text, the Pharisee was astonished to see he did not first wash before dinner. And he's talking about this ceremonial process that they would use to become clean. And Jesus just sat down. Jesus is clean. We've talked about this. He is clean. He makes things clean. Things don't make him dirty. And so he sits down and the Pharisee's like, what are we doing? How can you do this? This is the worst thing in the world. And so Jesus responds. Now it is interesting. We don't know that the Pharisee said anything, but we've already seen that Jesus often responds to what people are thinking. But Jesus responds, and the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Ouch. He's going after it. You fools. And that's a very strong, strong statement there of rebuke. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? 
but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. And so Jesus addresses this concern. Why is the Pharisee astonished or aghast that he didn't wash his hands in just the right way before dinner? And it's because the Pharisee is focused on the external rather than the internal. He's preoccupied with the outward appearance and what you have to do outside and the duty and the ritual and and getting everything just right. And he's forgotten that what really matters to God is the heart. What really matters to God is what's inside. And so he calls them out. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You hoard things to yourself and you have sin in your hearts. And but on the outside, you look all nice and clean. And it's a great picture. I mean, I would bet you've left things in your refrigerator too long. And, and you go to open that container, and especially if you have like a Tupperware container or something, there's times you, you, you pull it out and on the outside it looks nice because you've, you've put it in clean. But you know that what's inside is already twice the size of what you put in there. And you know when you open that, it is going to stink and, and, things are, and, and someone's got to open it. And so you open it, and it's just, ugh. That's the picture that Jesus is using. You know, I, I, I know Joanne and Pastor Andrew sometimes open my stuff in the fridge here that's been there six months. The burrito is new. That, that's, don't, don't, don't throw that away. <laughs> and sometimes it's gross. That's the picture. Oh, you look all good on the outside, but inside you're rotting. You're festering. Now, now again, before we come down too hard on the Pharisees, isn't that all of us in some areas of our life? Don't we have things that we hold inside and sins, pet sins, pet attitudes, pet things that we hold on to, but yet we want to look perfectly spiritual on the outside? And Jesus' answer here in verse 40 is twofold. First, he says, didn't he who make the outside make the inside too? And his, his first thing is, don't you think God cares about both? Don't you think he made both? And they would have to answer yes. And so his answer then, but give as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. There's a couple ways that first phrase could be taken. Some have said it means giving generously to the poor and it's combating their greed. But more than likely, it's just talking about make sure your heart is right and make sure you're doing things out of the right heart. And then that will clean everything. And, and there's truth there. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says when he's talking about language and, and struggling with language, he says the way to clean up dirty vocabulary is not to brush your teeth, but to cleanse your heart. Uh, that, okay, that, that makes sense to me. Because working on the external doesn't solve what comes from the internal. Out of the heart flow the matters of life. And so Jesus is dealing with hypocrisy right from the start at its heart, so to speak, and saying it's the heart that matters. Now, a couple things to notice here. Jesus never tells the Pharisees not to wash their hands and not to attempt to have the outside clean before God. His admonishment is start with the heart and make sure it matches. Make sure this is coming from the heart and then the outward will follow suit and the outward will be in line and it won't stink like hypocrisy. And, and we need to read this and we need to think of different things that we do to try to look spiritual. 
Sometimes we can take a list of spiritual disciplines, which I love, and we can read one of the books on spiritual disciplines and have our list and and we can check off every item on that list and still be as unspiritual as someone else sitting next to us. If it's not coming from the heart, if it's not coming from a desire to follow God and a relationship with God. Again, that doesn't mean you don't do the spiritual disciplines. It means you fix the heart. And and so Jesus is just, he's just real direct here. You've got to get what's inside consistent with what's outside. And he knows that the Pharisees, in their case, that's not the case. God hates hypocrisy. That's why he said, you fools. Hypocrisy strikes to the, the, the core of what he wants to do in us in transformation from the inside out. So then he goes on in 42 and gives some examples because the Pharisees are there. And so he's going to give three woes to the Pharisees. And and this isn't all-inclusive of every way that hypocrisy looks, but he's going to say, hey, this is what it looks like in you. And the woe there is this this idea of deep regret, of grieving over their sin. Um, Some some translations translate it alas, or alas, or however you say that, because we don't use that word uh, a lot. Um, And so Jesus is just deeply troubled by these sins. And so in verse 42, he starts with the first woe. But woe to you, Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And you see, his first example has to do with their finances, with their money. And, and the first woe then is beware of giving that does not include the heart. Beware of giving that does not include the heart. They are tithing to the penny. And in the Old Testament, they're following the Old Testament laws that, that say that we should be giving 10% of what God has given us back to Him as a tithe, an act of worship, an act of thanksgiving. And so they're following that. And hey, they're following that, in, in our case, the phrase to the penny, to them, to the very leaf on the herbs in their garden. He says, you're, you're out there counting the leaves on your herbs to make sure you give your 10%. And inside your heart reeks. And so he's pointing out the hypocrisy of looking spiritual on the outside and not getting our hearts in line. Not loving God and not loving others. They've made a burdensome mockery of giving and tithing, which is a beautiful act of worship, a way that we are grateful to God, a way that we show our dependence on God. And so it's no longer a joyful gift of gratitude and worship, but this burden that they're carrying. Now, again, Jesus doesn't say to stop tithing. In fact, he says, you ought to have done both. You ought ought to have done the the heart without neglecting the other. And so he challenges them specifically in this case to think of justice and love of God. Those two things really characterize love God, love others. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says that's the attitude that this should come out of. Your tithing to me is out of your love for me. Not to look good and drop the coins in the the chest in the temple so people see you and how wonderful of of a spiritual person you are. See, the external here probably allowed them to get away without dealing with the heart too because they looked so spiritual. People would follow them. And all those things you mentioned of why we're hypocrites, this would get them status and, and, and have people come to them but they were preoccupied with the trivial while neglecting the most important. And God hates that. 
In Amos 5, one of the prophets, we read, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. And he's not saying those things are wrong, but how they were doing it was wrong. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. To the strums of your guitar or the, the plucking of your piano. Oh, wait, that's, that's us. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He says, what I really want is you to love others, justice, and your righteousness, you to love me and to walk with me. So this is, a, this is an old message that Jesus picks up because it's so important. And so for us, we, we, we want to think even of our giving, are we doing this out of the right heart? Or is this a, a, a show, or, or maybe not a show to others, but maybe a show to ourselves so we feel spiritual. And there are things that we do, you know, as, as, as Susie and I look at our giving, now, now you know I'm a spreadsheet guy. And so my spreadsheet shows 10% to the penny. And so, and my leaning can be to do this. And it's just who I am. So, so we've chosen, we'll just always round up. We will never just tie that because that, that will feed my own sense of, of legalism. And, and this is how it has to be. We'll just always round up. And um, I will always go probably with my wife's suggestion there. She, she is, is much more of a giver than I am. Praise God. And we don't want to be tightwad with our money to God. And that's how we've tried to obey this to say, okay, we want our heart to be in line with our gift. We don't want the external to, to rule the day, but the external to come from the internal. Do things like that. And it doesn't have to be tithing, but any of the spiritual discipline, make sure you're doing it from the heart and not just enough and just the right thing so you feel spiritual. The next woe that he gives and the next um, thing to be aware of, he says, beware of pride. Beware of pride, loving the fame, status, and recognition. And so in 43, it says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. And, and so they would go into the synagogues and there was always a, a row of seats that faced everyone else for your, your leaders, your most spiritual. So they would get there early enough to take those seats to where they could have the seats of honor and look out on, on everyone else, all the poor, unspiritual people. Or in the marketplace, there was a whole system of how you greeted people. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And for those that were Pharisees, they expected more of a greeting and, and this whole um, way of, of honoring them in your greeting. Oh, oh, that's hypocrisy. Setting yourself above others. It's the hypocrisy of pride and loving that fame, status, and recognition instead of serving Christ just out of our love for Him that outward recognition. The third example that Jesus gives and the third woe is, woe to you for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. When I first read this, I thought, oh no, I think I've done that in cemeteries. Um, but, but as I studied and studied some of the, the culture, it began to make sense. Again, when we think of cleanliness and ritual cleanliness, one of the things with, in Judaism is if you touched a dead body or if you walked on a grave, you are now considered ceremonially unclean. 
And so they would intentionally mark their graves either with stones or, or white, put, put white paint on them, which is where we get whitewashed tombs. They, they would mark their graves so people don't accidentally become unclean or accidentally become unrighteous. And Jesus here is saying, you're like unmarked graves. And, and for us, we're like, oh, okay, unmarked grave, woohoo. For them, that was an insult. That was, that was digging deep because it said, not only are you rotting on the inside, not only are you dead on the inside, but you are bringing other people down. You are unintentionally, or, or maybe intentionally, but you are defiling other people because of how you're living life. And that had the sting for the Pharisees who thought they were better than other people and thought they were bringing spirituality to the masses and to the people. And he says, beware of an ungodly influence on others through our own spiritual rot, is what I put for that at that point. They're dead, they're gone, they don't have an impact other than to still bring people down. And that would have been shocking to them to be, be told that they were causing others to be unclean, that they were the source of spiritual contamination when they thought they were so righteous. There was a story a few years back about um, an, an air purifier and, um, that used ions to purify the air and they would charge certain ions and that would um, somehow bring the dust particles in. I don't know if you remember any of those. Well, as further studies came out, they found that as it was doing that, it was actually creating ozone as well in your home, which is the key element of smog. And people were starting to have all kinds of respiratory issues because they were using this air purifier because it was actually harming people instead of helping people. That's what the Pharisees were like. Instead of helping, they're harming people. They're causing more contamination while appearing to look on the outside like they're righteous and pure and clean. You know, for us, I think we need to take, take stock and, and ask, what's my influence on others? What's my influence on others around me? Am I complaining? Am I criticizing do I give hope or do I give pessimism? How am, I, how am I influencing others to live for Christ? Or am I even influencing others to live for Christ? All of these things are part of Jesus confronting the Pharisees that the outside is not matching the inside. And it's hypocrisy. Religious does not equal righteous. And Jesus wants righteous. So then in verse 45, and we get to the second point, second point in your notes, a spiritual hypocrisy refuses to repent and drags others down with it. And this is very similar to the last woe to the Pharisees. But one of the lawyers in verse 45 comes to him. One of the lawyers answered him. The lawyers were the scribes. Now, some lawyers were Pharisees, but these were the students of the law. And so when we think lawyers, we think courthouse. In this case, think students of the Torah, that they would study every law and they would know how to obey every law and then they would add all this, these fences around the law, all these extra ways to make sure you don't even get close to violating the law. They were not the most well-liked people because they added this, this, all these burdens to what it meant to try to be righteous. But one of the lawyers answered him. He's just heard the rebuke against the Pharisees and this is all at the dinner table. Great dinner conversation. And he says, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us too. And, and the, the implication is, I, I think you've cast too broad of a net. You're, 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 you're lumping us in with the Pharisees. I, here's your chance to recant. 
here's your chance to make this right. And so Jesus took advantage of the opportunity. And in 46, he said, and he said, woe to you lawyers also. And it's like, oh man. <laughs> and he goes on and now he's going to give three woes to the lawyers. And, and these aren't going to be pretty either. And so where the guy thought, okay, I'm more spiritual than them. I'm a, Jesus, you've made a mistake here. Now he gets nailed to, nailed to the wall. And so in 46, we get the, the first woe. And he said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And he's going to use, in his woes, he's going to use three things, burdens, tombs, and keys. So if you want to fill in those blanks early, you can. Burdens, tombs, and keys. And the first one is a burden. He says, you are placing all these rules on people. You are making it hard to be righteous because of all your external rules. Now, what was nice for the lawyers is they wrote them, and so they wrote certain loopholes, and they knew how they could sort of abide by them in their life. Not that that ever happens today. But to everyone else, these were impossible to follow. And so you have the wording there that you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And the most probable explanation of that is Jesus is saying, you don't even help anyone else walk with God. You don't help them carry their burdens. You don't help them understand the law. That's your role. You're supposed to be helping people follow the law, and you're making it hard. You know, an example about the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, and this is some of the the laws that they wrote a little bit after this time, but you, you get the idea of what the scribes were writing and saying. On the Sabbath, they taught, a man may not carry a burden in his right hand or his left hand, in his bosom or on his shoulder. But then they add all kinds of things. But he may carry it on the back of his hand, or with his foot, or with his mouth, or with his elbow, or in his ear, or in his hair, or in his wallet, if it's carried mouth downward, or between his wallet and his shirt, or in the hem of his shirt, or in his shoe, or in his sandal. That's one part of one of hundreds of laws. And they wrote all of these things about the laws that nobody could decipher and nobody could understand. We can think of certain codes in our world today like that. But the lawyers knew all the loopholes. And and so Jesus, he's confronting them on it. He says, okay, you think you're so spiritual? You're setting all these rules up and then you're not helping anyone do it. And in fact, if you really understood them, you're not following them yourselves. And it's hypocrisy. It's a different kind of hypocrisy, but it's still hypocrisy. You know, so we, we talk about servant leadership a lot. And when we, ask some, when we ask volunteers to do something, one of the things that's very important with leadership is you're willing to get in there and do it with them. You're wi- I, I never want to ask someone to do something that I'm not willing to do myself, unless there's a certain tech expertise that I can't, like fix a certain machine or something. But um, always being willing to get in there and help, because that's what servanthood looks like. That's not what the, the lawyers were about. They would ask all these things and then just be standoffish and say, well, we do it. Why aren't you? And so Jesus calls them on it. How are we helping others come along in their Christian faith? Even others that might be younger in the faith than us. Do we come down on them for being immature in the faith? Or are we bringing them along? Weird thing was, when my kids were five, I expected them to act like five-year-olds. They didn't act like adults. And I came alongside and you bring them along. And that's what Jesus is wanting from these lawyers. So then 
he goes after it a little bit more in 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. And he's going to go on with this, but by tombs there, the idea was monuments, that you celebrate the prophets that your own people killed and wouldn't listen to. And I have a picture here, and, and this isn't actually one of the prophets' tombs. This is a, a few hundred years later, but this is typical of what it would look like. And those are both tombs of, of different people. These are the sons of certain prophets. But you can see they would build these elaborate monuments to these prophets, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if you do that with a spirit of repentance. And you're saying, we shouldn't have killed them. We should have, we should have followed them. But what Jesus is, is coming here and what he's going to say is, no, 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 you're, you're rejecting them still. And so you're building these things that make it look like you're praising their message. You're still rejecting it. So you are just as guilty. You're just as guilty of killing them. In fact, by building their tomb, you're just finishing the job. So let's read. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. You are witnesses. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. Again, good table talk. From the blood of Abel, who we have the, the, the first murder of someone who was living righteously, to the blood of Zechariah, and in the Hebrew Old Testament, that would have been the last murder of someone living, living for God, living righteously who perish between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. And so he calls them out for, for not understanding what they're doing, for giving external praise of a biblical truth, but not actually following it. So the first, the first one, we ask the question, are you a burden or a help to others spiritually? In this case, is, is it about external praise of biblical truth or actually following it? your accessories to the crime because you're still rejecting them. And then we get to the next verse which talks about keys. Woe to you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. And this is real similar to the first woe. But the question is, are your life and words hindering or helping people to accept the gospel? Are your life or words hindering or helping people to accept the gospel? He tells them, you've kept others from accepting the truth. You won't even accept yourself. You've built all these laws to make yourself feel spiritual, but you haven't repented. You haven't come and submitted to Christ. And now you're keeping others from doing the same. How much do our words and our lives help people understand the gospel? That's the question I get out of this. Or, or are inconsistencies in my life, how I live Monday through, through Saturday, is that different from Sunday? And am I giving a different impression of Christianity? It is possible for you to give someone a view of Christianity that will keep them from accepting the gospel. And that should make us tremble. Because if I give them a false view of Christ, that's a problem. That's what these lawyers were doing. And so really, if we, if we take these, some of the questions we have to ask ourselves is how easily do I recognize sin and repent? Or do I drag others down with me? What spiritual burdens do I put on others so, to, so they can be considered spiritual? And maybe I have the standard of what's spiritual and I'm expecting them to follow it. 
Or how am I affecting others with my hypocrisy? Am I discouraging them? Am I dragging them down? Am I silencing sources of truth because I want them to listen to me? And we see their response, which is all pleasant and nice in 53 and 54. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. They're mad. They're ticked. And now their goal is to catch him and find a way to silence him. And that's part of actually Christ's plan as he goes to the cross. Now it's his timing. And so he confronts them. That's the core of the passage. Let's turn over to, to chapter 12, though. Um, for, for just, Jesus now is going to make some more arguments against hypocrisy, just one right after another. Some of the, the scholars say it sort of brings in a lot of, of points of teaching just with sentence after sentence. But he's going to lead them to standing up boldly for Christ. And so in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12, Jesus' next argument is that hypocrisy is foolish because it doesn't work. All will be revealed. And, and so the challenge is to be consistent in front of people and away from people. When we talk about integrity, it's I'm the same with people and, and away from people. Hypocrisy is different. And so in verse 12, or in chapter 12, in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so he brings it up and he's going to teach them. Now, leaven is a lot like yeast. If you've made bread, you put yeast in and you put a little bit of yeast and you let the bread sit, the dough sit. And what happens? The yeast spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. And um, in, in, in the case of bread, helps it rise and does a good thing. But here, yeast or leaven is considered sin and the spread of sin. And eventually sin will just permeate the whole loaf. Now, now, some will distinguish it's not really yeast. It's leaven was more taking a, a starter batch from the prior batch, more like you would do a sourdough bread. Same principle, though, because then it would actually ferment and, and affect the, the whole batch. This is what Jesus calls the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The pride, the sin. It's a per- permeation that is slow, insidious, and constant because it's what they're teaching people it means to be spiritual. So he's warning his disciples, don't follow it. Beware. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They're hypocrites. Nothing, and then he goes into the point uh, here, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And Jesus is saying, "Be, be as hypocritical as you want. It doesn't work. It's all going to come to light. Whether it com- and it, it often comes to light here on earth, but it will come to light definitely at the final judgment. Because Jesus sees it all. He knows it all. You can look up some of those verses that I've put in your notes. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. I, think about it. Those of you with kids, think about this. You, you watch your kids, and sometimes my kids do this sometimes. Sometimes they're off in the corner whispering about someone in the family or something that's going on. Mom always hears. I don't know how, but mom always hears. You know, I think I could whisper in my house and my mom would hear 14 houses down. I don't know. Um, But mom always hears and and the kids are like, how did you know? Now, now we know that they're not really whispering and and 
moms, you know when your kids are doing something secretive. You know, they're all around huddling and, and talking softly. Okay, I'm going to listen. But God actually does know. He knows about the sins that we committed this week that we think no one will know about. He knows about the attitudes that we've harbored in our hearts, but we've been careful to hide and make sure they don't come out. He knows about what was done in dark and done in secret. And He will reveal that. The truth will come to light and we will be held accountable for it. And so Jesus' point is, why be a hypocrite then? If it doesn't work, you're spending all your time and energy just to be, be a hypocrite. And you can't hide it. So why not live for God now? Why not stand up for Him? And He's going to go there in the last point. God knows the heart. We're going to be judged for it anyway, so why not be real and be genuine and really work on getting our hearts right with God? And then in the next four verses, he talks about really, I think, the basis of hypocrisy. And you guys all mentioned it when we talked about why are we hypocrites sometimes. Fear of man often leads to hypocrisy. We're afraid of what people think. We're afraid of what they'll do negatively. We're afraid they won't view us positively. Fear of man often leads to hypocrisy. And Jesus is going to say here, fear God. Not people, not circumstances. Fear God. He's the only one that matters. And so in verse 4 it says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that have nothing more they can do. Now that, that's sort of funny for us if, if we view life as just what happens on earth. Because then we think, well, kill the body, that's, that's all there is. I can remember seeing a, a drug ad recently that said, possible side effects, death. And at least it only listed one. But I'm thinking, that's not the one I want to go to. And, and, but, but that's a, a, a tempor- temporary mindset that says this is all there is. And so he's, Jesus says, don't feel those who can just kill the body and have nothing more they can do. There's a lot more to life than, the, than our few short years here on earth. Number f- verse 5, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So, so fear or be in awe and respect and a, and a healthy dose of fear. Fear the one that controls your eternity, not the ones that might affect how you're viewed next week. And he's setting up a picture of, of the temporary and the eternal. And why are we living for the short term when the long term is what matters? And he, he, in verse 6, he, he then takes this further to circumstances, which are short-term. And we go through circumstances, and it's hard, but he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so he says, yes, don't, don't fear people and what they think. Fear God because he controls your destiny. But if you're walking with God... Don't even worry about your circumstances because he cares about you more than than birds and more than hair. And he knows those things. He can handle your circumstances tomorrow. He can handle what you're facing next week. Oh, we need to hear that often. And we need to live for eternity. I love a, a quote there from Trent Butler and I put it in your notes. Fear controls too much of life. Afraid that we will not please others, we become hypocrites. Afraid of those in power, we forfeit our integrity. Afraid of ridicule, we deny Jesus. Afraid of poverty and want, we deify our wealth. Afraid of death and suffering, we lose trust in God. 
Afraid we have missed our opportunity. We are not ready when God calls. Afraid we will not get all that is coming to us. We take things into our own hands rather than waiting to accept the reward God has prepared for us. Afraid of what our family will think, we let our family loyalty override loyalty to God. Jesus seeks to lead us to, a, to trust God and overcome all fear. Fear's really the root, the root of hypocrisy. I'm afraid of what others will think. And Jesus here is saying, that's silly. That's temporary. Let's think about what God thinks. And so he ends in verses 8 through 12 with a challenge. And, to, and I think this is really a, a good gauge of hypocrisy, of whether or not we're willing to do this. But the challenge is stand up for God now. Stand up for God now. And, and for them, yes, they would be persecuted if they would stand up for God. Guess what? We're there. Maybe not in the same way, but more and more, we might be looked down on if we stand up for God. We might be called foolish. We might be called people that are crazy and, and can't intellectually process an argument. Stand up for God now, because who are you fearing? So all these things tie together. In verse 8, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And Jesus here is setting up how you live on earth affects, because it's coming from the heart, it affects your eternal destiny. Are you willing to acknowledge me, to live for me with your actions and your words before men? Because that's a sign that we are truly saved and that we are trusting in God. He goes on and he talks a little bit about uh, any, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. And that's sort of like, like Peter denying Christ, sort of an idle word against the Son of Man. But then he says, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. There's a lot of debate about that. I think the best way to view that is a systematic refusal to accept the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And when we, we refuse to accept, when, when the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of the gospel to us and we still refuse and reject it, that becomes something we're not forgiven for and we end up in eternal, in eternal judgment for. The ESV, many of you have the ESV study Bible. I think their notes on this are, are wonderful. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that is the persistent and unrepentant resistance against the work of the Holy Spirit and his message concerning Jesus. That is, is one of the best definitions I've seen of that. And he says, and, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. And in, in a, a, a great stroke of comfort and promise, he says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You're not alone. Depend on the Holy Spirit. He will teach you. He will go before you. And so the, the culmination of all this talk about hypocrisy, Jesus is saying, fear God, not man. And so stand up for God no matter what men think. From the heart, in, in, in truth, and in being genuine, stand up for God. I think of, of towards, towards the end of Martin Luther's career. He was asked to recant a number of things. And he was asked, I ask you, Martin, answer candidly and without horns. Do you or do you not repudiate your books and the errors which they contain? And Luther said this. 
He spoke first in German and then in Latin. I'm going to go ahead and use English. Since then, your majesty and your lordship desire a simple reply. I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. And he was willing at great personal risk to say, I stand for God and I will acknowledge God before men and nothing will stop me. Let's fight hypocrisy and acknowledge God in every area of our life. That people know that we are our Christ followers. People know that we are believers. They know it from not just our words, but from our actions.